0: Welcome to the Ripple Effect Martial Arts Podcast. Hi, everybody. We're super excited to have with us today Mr. Zach Chase. He lives in Loveland, Colorado. He works for the St. Vrain School District, super into books. And so I'm really happy about that because we're going to have a lot to talk about. But he also has two kids in the Johnstown Ripple Effect Martial Arts School, and they are green belts currently. And we're going to get talking about karate and life and literature. Uh, Hey, Zach, thanks so much for being here.
1: Oh, thanks for having me.
0: I'm pretty excited. So first off, how did you find out about martial arts or why were you interested in that for your kids?
1: I I took jujitsu for a while when I was a kid in Illinois and so knew about that. And then my son said... I want to take karate class. And I think he heard about a kid in his class who took karate classes. And so I said, "Okay, that's great. Um, And had been thinking about that for a while. He's 10 and, you know, full of all the energy of a 10-year-old. And so I knew that the structure and the routine and the ritual and the tradition and all of those kinds of pieces could be really helpful, not to mention kind of all the cross-pointer movement. So from an occupational therapy side, it's a great idea. So all those kinds of things, and so we did that. And then uh, my daughter's twelve and can sometimes be a bit more reserved. And so I was asked at the beginning after the first lesson, you know, do you want to join in too? Do you want to do you want to try a class? And she was like, nope. Um, and then I think probably a month, maybe a little bit less than a month of watching classes with me, turned to me kind of shyly and said. Do karate too, uh, and I said, "Great, let's do it." The nice thing is that she made that decision before his first belt test because I think if I had two different ranks going on at the same time, the the sibling rivalry would be unbearable. So I'm I'm glad that, that she made that request while we were, while he was still a
0: white belt. Wow! So before he even earned a gold, his sister was like, "Maybe I'll get in on this." Yeah. <laughs> what do you think excited your daughter about it? Um, we talk a lot about our inner family, about safety
1: and that this, is, our family is a place where everyone is safe. When, so I, my kids are adopted um, and in our first meeting, I said, do you know what my job is? No. I said, my job is to keep you safe no matter what. And so safety is a, is a big component. And I think that that was a draw for her, that there was a sense of power that she could pull from it and that she could do it. They haven't had necessarily as many exposures to pieces in the world. Uh, and so it was foreign and scary. And then she's like, no, I got this. And she saw, I, th- I think the reward piece of it too. She's like, I can earn a stripe. I can do those things. So that positive reinforcement piece, I think was also
0: incredibly key. That's great that she saw in it a, a source of security, I guess. If I can, yeah, I think a lot of kids and a lot of parents want for their kids that out of A martial arts program is that you're not just building strength, but building awareness and gaining a sense of security. Have you seen a kind of advancement in, it's hard to gauge really, but like confidence, awareness, respect, strength, things like that? A shift in identity, right? There's a sense of belonging,
1: like i do karate i am this it means something right that there are so few spaces where there is ritual and tradition available for kids and so that like i moved from white to gold belt and here and this is i can name the set of things that earned me that that piece right that there's something specific to work toward i think helps to define that identity uh for my daughters uh, mackenzie her confidence, which I know sounds trite, but she, like her, her high odds were, were a bit meek at the beginning and she, she'll raise her hand. She'll, she feels comfortable. She feels part of, of the place. Uh, and I think that's important. The same thing with, with Trey, my son, but I would think it's also the other way is it's given us some language. We also talk a lot in our family about big feelings and what do you do with big feelings and where do those big feelings go? And so I think it's given us some shared language around big feelings and expectations and norms. When those conversations happen only in our household, I think it can feel like, oh, we're strange and we're the only people having these conversations. Right. But when I can talk about, I think just the other day I talked about integrity. One of them did something that was that showed integrity. And I said, Oh, that was a really good sign. Like when they know that it's not just my weird set of words to talk about big feelings and actions but that like there's a whole community a whole world of people who think about these things then it normalizes those conversations about how we manage and regulate and i think that has been a big piece for him
0: like oh okay people talk about how they think and do and feel and and all those kinds of things that's awesome I, you mentioned occupational therapy just a few minutes ago what is that And how does karate relate to it? Sure. First, I am not an occupational therapist, but I have many very good friends who
1: are. Um, An occupation is just something you do on a a regular basis, right? Like opening a cabinet. There are occupational therapists listening, and I am butchering this. I do apologize. But I've had to explain it a few times, and I think I've got it right. So uh, let's say something happens that physically or mentally limits your ability. You've lost the ability to open a cabinet. A physical therapist will help with range of motion, will help with like the muscles and all those kinds of pieces. An occupational therapist helps you to get back to doing a thing that you like to do. So the you like I like to bake, I've lost the ability to open up this cabinet where I store all of my things. So an occupational therapist can say, let's help you figure out the things you like to do in your life, things that occupy your time. And so occupational therapy thinks about the eight senses in your body. So uh, smell, sight, taste, touch, sound, interoceptive. Oh, I'm losing them all. But there are eight senses, vestibular system. So senses of balance. So one of the pieces that that martial arts brings to my kids, to all kids, is that sense of balance uh, activates your vestibular system, which is what keeps you from falling over. And so it increases your body's awareness of where you are in the world right? So to to block, to throw a punch, to go through a form, you have to have an awareness of what's going on. And so if you think about like a pseudo block, which is the thing we're learning in, in our current form, you think about your arm has to cross the midline of your body and that activates your brain in a different way than if your left and right hand were always doing things on the left and right side. So just that physicality and the and the regular request of your brain to know where you are and how you're moving through space improves how you're aware of what's going on. So that's great for kids who have a history of complex developmental trauma, but it's also great for uh uh, kids who are adoles- in adolescence right and your prefrontal cortex is just like nah, I'm gone uh right just goo uh, it's reforming and so uh, all of those things that are asking kids to have an awareness of their body without being hyper aware of their bodies
0: are helpful in-, in growing so for anybody listening who doesn't know yet uh, the I made this mistake a pseudo block is not a false block like a pseudopod but an sudo block and it's a block that, is also really functions as a strike and as a setup for a throw and all of those, that kind of multi-level stuff. When you see kids start to absorb it and it really only happens toward the uh, accomplishment of black belt where you start to go, Oh yeah, now I'm understanding how this works, but that was a great explanation for bodily awareness. I think, have your kids participated in sparring very much yet? We just, I mean,
1: we just uh, in the last testing cycle got to greenbelt. So Uh we are just maybe three classes in, into sparring. Um, And it is interesting to watch Trey specifically is his, his sparring is just like kind of Tasmanian devil at this point, which is not unexpected, right? Like, there's a difference between learning all of these things kind of on your own moving in the world. And then there's another person who you're actually actually practicing on. So I know that's going to come online as it, as it moves through, but no, we're pretty,
0: pretty new to the sparring at this point. Well, what you said about bodily awareness and control, punching in an environment, not falling over, moving in ways that set you up to land strikes, but a big emphasis hugely on everyone adults and kids is control. Mm-hmm. And that's, Something that can be difficult. What's the what's my range, and then what's how much power and speed am I putting on this punch or this kick, and how is that going to impact the next person? Because sparring is very light, Uh, very light. You hit a point. I think
1: the piece that to me is most important as I watch this, and well, any of the pieces is the lesson is knowing when to stop. Right? How far is enough, and that for all kids all grown ups is huge. And so being able to have that conversation of when is this productive and when is it not. And I think that anybody who is a parent the the why, the constant why, like why 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 why? Like when is this productive and when is this not is it, is a thing that kids have to learn developmentally. And so to be able to take the physicality of martial arts and sparring and then use that as the metaphor that says, hey, you know when you were sparring with so and so in class and you knew how far you could go without hurting them. That's kind of similar to what you're doing now and when you're asking all of these questions, or when you're you're arguing with me about such and such because you don't think it's fair. Like at some point you've gone to and so knowing when to stop isn't like positive self-control, right? It's all built into there. So I that's the kind of metaphoric use of, of where I think sparring is going to be most helpful for us as we're thinking these things through.
0: Can you explain something just about your educational background or your literary background? You're talking about metaphors and everything. Um, sure. Where'd you come from? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, my undergrad was
1: a degree in, in English and in English education. So I was an English teacher for a good long time, then earned a master's in educational leadership at um, the Harvard Ed School and then a masters from Nova South Eastern and curriculum and instruction and then a, a principal's license at uh, CU Denver. And those are all formal pieces. But I think the piece that probably informs it all much more or is more foundational is that my mother has always worked in and around the realm of human resources and human development uh, we were, we were seven habits of highly effective people household, which I didn't realize as a kid, wasn't everybody's like that. Not every house was also talking about being proactive and all of these kinds of things. So I was 12 and my mom said, I want you to sit down at the kitchen table and like, what's your mission statement. And so I would to school the next day and I was like, Hey, what's your mission statement? And my friends were like, what, what are you talking about? Cause I didn't really, I mean, you don't know you're weird, but just, that's the, that was just the language we had growing up, right. As we, we talked about those things. That was the worst. Like I wished, I wished I got grounded more, but no, we had to have a conversation where I had to process and speak aloud the things that had led to the thing that I did that got me in trouble. And I was like, can't you just, can't you just yell at me like normal parents and send me to my room? And so Yeah, but but then also as a as a teacher, right? Occupational therapy was a piece that I learned about very early on in my career that hadn't been a part of my formal education. But I was like, wait, this makes sense—the effect of music on the brain, the effect of all of these kinds of things, and what we can do to help our bodies self-regulate. I don't think you can talk about learning and teaching without understanding how the body and the brain work. And then more recently, developmental and complex trauma. So my kids were adopted, they were in the foster system. And no matter what else, whatever led to that, being in the system and being adopted is a trauma on its own. That that was not nearly as succinct as me talking about occupational
0: therapy. No, that's great because I think it touches on areas that any parent in karate or not is wondering about. And just that you found that your kids feel accepted into the community do they have friends there or are they friends with the instructor or do you do you find them kind of referring to that at all
1: yes yes the instructors more necessarily than the kids at this point we now that we're at green belt they're staying after and helping with white belt classes and so they're they're better they're more permanent there right so it's not just the 45 minutes and then we leave i want to stop and if it's okay one of the pieces that i think is one of the reasons we stayed. Is the quality of the conversations that I saw Mr. Varant having with the kids, the approach and the ethos of seeing every kid, like, it, like my kids were seen in every class, not for the entire forty, like he wasn't like one-on-one, but but that they had a moment where a grown-up who was not their parent said they had done something well, and that when something needed to be improved. That grown up stuck around to say yes, you got it. Keep going. In which we know is which we know is sports, right? We know the the value of an of an amazing coach, but that consistency of experience is, I think, also why Mackenzie said, "Oh, I can jump out there because there's a grown up out there who's also going to keep me safe and take care of me," and that's been every every grown up. Uh, the number of times Mister, <laughs> the number of times Trey has come up, come in with a story that a ten year old has that goes on way longer than is it, than it is interesting, and Mister Olmstead has been like, okay, all right, and listened to the story in a way that the Trey felt seen and heard was it's just it's phenomenal and important. I mean, the first form when we got to Chunji and it was I mean it's nineteen steps, it's a lot for kids who have. Any eight, any typical kid, but also neurodiverse kids, who are maybe thinking about where they're moving, and what they're doing for the first time, and having to put together several steps of directions, there was some real high frustration levels, and Trey was in tears. But I had seen enough by that point to know that I wasn't the thing that he needed. He needed who's Mr. Bobby at the time, but he needed Mr. Vrant. To, be over, to walk over, and Mr. Brandt did, and he took him over to the corner after class, and they practiced it, and he helped him work through it. That is a huge lesson, is that there are other grown-ups in the world that will help you. And I think, And I think the pandemic has made that a harder lesson to learn. I think that a number of kids have forgotten that because we've become so much inside of the house and inside the family, that having these experiences where there's another grown up, and you're like, oh yeah, there's an outside world, and it isn't big and scary, and it isn't always trying to you know kill us, but in, it's it's trying to like comfort us and help us grow and help us
0: be stronger. It's it's a system of support that I think is super important. I'm so glad that you find that. So can I ask you, Mister Brandt's very good at turning people the right way when they're mm. doing their down blocks and so forth in Chunji, and you get really disoriented. Chunji also means you probably know uh, in Korean, heaven and earth mm-hmm. as a, not to put you on the spot, but as someone who is invested in metaphor and analogy and history, is there any discussion that you ever have with Trey or your daughter about this means heaven and earth? What could that possibly, why? We haven't
1: done that with the forms yet. Cause sometimes when we get done with class, they need a little bit time of, of time away from the form. Um, so like, hey, that thing that was really frustrating, do you want to think <laughs> deeply about what it means? We don't tend to do that, but we do the the pieces of the black belt creed are that one we talk about, right? Like um, what does it mean to be courteous, right? The easy language for a kid is nice. And we nice is nice is oftentimes false, right? It's performative. But courtesy we talk about how that is about the other and we you know that they, it's a consideration that empathy is is wrapped up into courtesy so nice is nice is fine that's a good start courtesy means thinking about the other and thinking through those pieces we haven't gotten to the like the shorthand of integrity means you know you would do it even if no one was watching but those are the pieces that we walk through
0: so with courtesy for example in sort of in in today's world kind of thing, it's really tough, right? Because it's not doesn't just mean opening a door for an old lady or something. It's right. if someone's yelling at you and saying that you're, you know, insulting you full of invective. How do you react? And, and right. what is a courteous reaction? And when you mention empathy, that's really interesting. Do you do your do they respond to that? Or what? what how do they think about that? Um,
1: yes, because then we move it into four instances of like, do you remember when this happened and this, and then you did this and then you did examples and non-examples and okay, I get that. And it's big though. I mean, it's a big, these are all huge concepts, but yes, yes, the response is there. And then I know that they're starting to think about it when they use it on each other, when they're angry, um, you are not being, you are not showing courtesy. Um, and I'm like, well, it's, that's true. And also that might not be the tone that turns somebody's attitude around. (laughs) Oh, wow. Thank you for yelling that I'm not showing courtesy. That is, that's helping my brain out. (laughs) Um, Yeah. But we talk about, I think indomitable spirit comes up quite a bit, like uh, learning how to read. Right. And so frustration levels can be very high. So I say, you know what, this is a thing that I enjoy doing with you. I love reading with you um I love listening to you I love watching you try really hard and if you if it's, if right now you need to quit that is fine so we've gotten to a place of quitting is not an option in their head I will all, like if I say you can't quit ever then then you know all I want to do is quit right like the, the so saying you can quit right now putting that on the table as an option and then watching them evaluate and sometimes it's or nine times out of 10 it's I don't want to quit but I do need to take a break. And so moving out of their head and into their body so it's you know push-ups or wall sits or squats or the plank for however much time you need to get back into your body or do some of those. So using some of those other tools. And that's where I think the indomitable and so then we'll talk about that. that's indomitable spirit. When you're like no, I don't need to quit. I'm not going to fail this but I do need to take a step away from it and come back to it.
0: You mentioned philosophy earlier on. And I think of things like Plato's allegory of the cave or something and going, here's where your missteps are. You're not seeing what's true. If you turn mm-hmm. around, it's a little too bright. The truth is just too much. Oh, so certainly. Probably some analogy there to the black belt process. You know, you don't start off taking punches to the gut and right. Do- reverse hook kicks and everything but what do you see for your kids over the next several years as they work toward earning their black belts what's your hope i hope
1: that there is a space that recognizes their growth in ways that are not always valued outside right um Your ability to do a down block in school is, I mean, if there's a bully, sure, great, but not necessarily the thing your teachers are looking for. So that there's a positive expression of physicality that has that control, that has that that tradition, that has all those pieces connected to it. But there's also the the piece of, um, I don't want to say leadership because it means all sorts of other things, right? I know that right. there's the leadership, but role modeling, I think is the other is the other side of things. So the kids are right now the green belt is at nine o'clock and then the next class is white belt and so they stay after to help with the white belts. We were at green belt class a couple of weeks ago and Miss Elena was standing in front and she's I think blue belt and Trey was mm, I don't know the names of all the things but the where you jump and you pull your foot back and then you do the round kick. Oh sure switch kick and yeah. Thank you. Yeah, that's a hard thing to remember, isn't it? Switch <laughs> kick. So he was, he was, the feet, his position of his feet was wrong. And Miss Elena was standing right in front of him. And as they turned, she saw that it was wrong. And then she, in the most, in the kindest and gentlest of ways, just paused what she was doing to help Trey do what he needed to do. Nobody asked her to, nobody said, nobody called him out. None of those pieces. She just saw that this was some, like, She knew how to do it and she knew he didn't, and she gave him a safe way to to find his way there. My hope is that my kids are learning how to do that for others, both inside and outside of the school. Um, My hope is that when they are helping with those white belts, that the gentleness of spirit was there and that it's also real and true, right? Like that's what the, the instructors, if something is wrong, we don't, there's not a sugar coating, but it's not mean, right? We're not trying to scare anybody. We're not trying to prove that we're in charge. The belts help us understand that rank. So they know what they know, and it's not about proving it. It's about helping the other person get there too.
0: Thank you for listening to the Ripple Effect Martial Arts Podcast. Find episodes and more at rippleeffectmartialarts.com.